welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast, featuring Aaron Castro in Arizona, Liam Poach in Boston, and Craig Gradelli in New York City. For those of you new to the podcast, each week the guys share news, views, and abuse from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union, along with information on the USA national team. With all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Welcome to Your Full of Dirt. Um, I'm Aaron Castro. You can find me on Twitter at the Strobro. I'm joined tonight. Um, well, the poach is, uh, well, I guess he's not working um, deep into the depths of night anymore, at least for this episode. Um, and also, mm-hmm. um, Craig Radelli, you can also find him at American RFC, and he has uh, he's done his own hair again. <laughs> it's the pandemic life we live now. My hair is yeah. cut again. There's not much left, so... Every every cut, that's one fewer trips to the barbershop for my life. So, yep. so what do you got? Uh, I, 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 too, got a haircut. Unfortunately, my local Supercuts is still closed down, so I had to go to an unfamiliar uh, barber and really not happy with it. There's a reason I'm wearing a hat tonight of all nights. <laughs> not happy with it. Either. No, no, dude. Really? See, I look like a like like a fifties housewife with short hair. It just kind of, it kind of comes down like almost like in a part, like in, like in some wings and stuff like that. Like the lady asked me like, like, you know, when I was like, Oh, I want a short scissor cut. She's like, Oh, so you want like a skater cut? And I'm like, no, I, I, I just want like a short scissor cut. And I don't know. Maybe. It's yeah. So a lot to talk about. Um, I wanted to, I mean, I guess USA rugby decided to throw a wrench in my rundown today. And they released a statement on, uh, the handling of the Robert Paler investigation, uh, it, it, you know, it was basically kind of a whitewash uh, saying, hey, we screwed up. <laughs> yeah, so to let us extent, release this totally generic statement. To an extent, I, I, I think they needed to throw some stones at some other people um, because they it was an independent competition. Now they did accept um, – they did accept the fact that they did not set the standard for that independent competition. Cause here's the reality is varsity cup did not have uh, a siding commissioner on hand, like assigned, like they didn't pay for it, which is run by UWS. And they also didn't pay for an independent judicial official. Now should USA rugby have probably um, appointed one since it was kind of a national championship event. Again, it was a private competition and it was also within D one a, but also in the same season, uh, earlier in the year, a game I was at, or not a game I was at, it was before the game I went to, which was U of A versus Arizona State. Um, the B side match had a had a, a the best way to explain it. He was a college dropout somehow playing um, with the club. He no longer he was not enrolled with at ASU, uh, and he was playing on the rugby team and he wasn't registered with USA rugby. So that's another one. Um, so the insurance uh, is violated. So they're like the, the collegiate club and, you know, Arizona state university are exposed to, you know, litigation and liability and all that stuff. Well, in the same season, like a dude got his face caved in um, by a player. And in both instances, this was 2017 in both instances, whether it was D one a or USA rugby, they never ever published the sanctions on players and coaches from either match Uh, for the ASU case. The player was banned for life 
and the coach was banned for three years. Uh, in the uh, Arkansas State versus Cal uh, and Robert Paylor injury, the, the player, I guess, escaped sanction. I wouldn't say uh, – I don't necessarily think it was intentional to break that break Robert Paylor's neck. I don't. I don't. Um, it was obviously intentional to bring them all down with a, an illegal technique. Um, but th- USA Rugby did the judicial officiating and the, investi- and the investigation following, and they never released um, a statement on the, the actual results with the judicial report, and they never released the sanctions. And what happened, I guess the players escaped sanction, who I won't name, but the coach was banned, also banned for three years years um, now however the, the issue that i was finding uh, you know as information um began to leak out about the subsequent investigation into the uh in, into the match in which robert got injured there was there, um there seemed to be forms filled out that specified that there was no footage reviewed by the jo that there was no um witnesses uh like to the event either players or coaches uh interviewed it was just a very pre- uh, preliminary review um i I wouldn't say it was preliminary. I would say it was shitty. Yeah. I really implore people to read Jack Clark's comments uh, on the yeah, whole situation. I, I, he lays it out very eloquently. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> the report was over 50 pages. And yes, uh, the he did not talk to people. And I can understand some of it I can, from, a, from a litigation and liability perspective. However, was it poor? Yeah. It was kind of shit. Um, so, um, yeah, it, I wouldn't say too little too late, but I wonder if the reason why we got to this is because of the dramatic shakeup in leadership. Like now um, you have an interim board uh, that is led by somebody else. Um, and, uh, you know, um Hats off to Paul Santinelli, who's trying to steer the ship. Uh, Absolutely, Paul, you are the man. And and that's probably why this finally got done, is because we were like, whether for whatever, we have never addressed this issue, and this issue has been a black eye on our sports and our organization, and we we need to just say we screwed up, like as our, you know. Well, hey, um, it's a common theme in this country right now that people are kind of accepting the the negatives in their life in, in their life in the uh, in society so you know come come coming clean and apologizing better late than never um yeah so so there's that did you watch any super rugby this weekend Craig just said he watched 20 minutes um while he was on the john in prep for our show I was not on a john <laughs> I was however at my sister-in-law's baby shower this weekend in Massachusetts which was Woo! a 48 hour intense family affair. Uh, so I, you know, I've been mostly MIA this weekend. So I, I have a little catching up to do. I did watch half hour uh, of uh, the first game right before the show. It's fun. Glad it's back. Uh, so yeah, some good quality rugby being played. Uh, and it's great that it's on ESPN too. Now we just have, I mean, I'm so happy. I don't want to even give you a, now we just need type of complaint. But now we just need it to be not at 11.30 and 3 a.m. But, I mean, we're 90% there. I'm pretty happy. So, yeah, for for me, the 830 830 kickoff was great. Um, The previous midnight kickoff when I had to work 
um, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific time the next day. Um, and we'll get to that. Uh, and you, that? you tell yourself you're only going to watch a little bit, but yeah, guess so, what? The, so that's more just, junky and you won't let it. <laughs> so I just didn't. But the easiest way to do that was I'm just going to go to bed. And yeah. then I worked on the draft all day. Um, so, but even the eight thirty kickoff, I mean, you yeah, for people who are already rugby fans, that's great. But we probably all had ESPN Plus and would have watched anyway. I feel like the the reason you want it on ESPN two is the hopes that a new fan will accidentally see it or or whatever. And I don't think many people are just randomly watching Friday nights. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not, not it's not the nineties anymore. People don't just flip through channels. Definitely you know? not. Definitely not like at, at midnight. Um, actually, there's. I'm gonna go on to Showbuzz Daily Friday Cable 150. We're gonna find out um, if uh, anything on ESPN uh, made the Friday night Cable 150. Um, I love this. It, this is typical rugby. It's like, let me inspect. Did somebody mention rugby in some way, shape, or form that I can talk about? So the e- e- ESPN scrum. First of course, thing on ESPN. So you had first take. You had Sports Center late. NFL live. Get up. Sports Center early. This is all the Friday stuff. Sports Center after. Um, ESPN Disney movie. Free solo. <laughs> Free solo. Actually, I've watched that. Um, ESPN original foos, foosballers. Foos First take ball. extra. Um, I don't know if we should go down this road. We're going to find it. Here we go. Much um, more popular than rugby. We got um, be a depressing start. So, Siri, so on ESPN two because it was on ESPN two, right? Siri A, which is uh, Spanish or no Italian soccer that ESPN has the rights to. Just oh no. Yeah, nothing on the Friday one. So Super Rugby did not make the Friday one fifty. Uh, I I'll, we'll be back and we'll look at uh, for Saturday because those come out tomorrow. But um, yeah, so the Blues game I thought was great. Um, I think it's the most packed I've ever seen Eden Park. The refereeing was very interesting, especially at the breakdown. Um, a lot of penalties, but. Uh, you know, if you if you're forward and you jack you you have to jackal, uh, this is the one thing like we talked about like the way rulings were going at the at the breakdown was previously where the if a if a defensive player was in a jackaled position, they were not getting rewarded or they were getting injured. They were just getting blown up because the referee would not award the jackaler um, at all, basically. Um, they, you would basically have to win the ball completely. Um, and well, uh, this is the first time I've seen, you know, at least in, in big time rugby, uh, the Jackler, uh, awarded the ball, like you see in sevens. And I thought that was actually, uh, that's how it should be. Like if, if your if your support on attack is not there to establish the ruck, then the ball should be turned over, um, to the Jackler. That's, that's what I think. Okay. Pretty entertaining, I thought. Yeah. I mean, I was up 20 minutes, but it was clear that they were pursuing a new emphasis on breakdown officiating. But I, I, I thought I saw it more as, you know, it's almost like they were policing 
any behavior that wasn't strictly permitted. Whereas before it was like a kind of a wild, wild west where people were just diving in from every angle. Everyone was leaving their feet. Nothing was being called. Now it seems they're trying to officiate it, you know, into a more controlled uh, contact environment. So I, you know, whether it favors the defense or not, I I guess I think the the jury's still out, but uh, I think it's better because it's one of the, yeah, one of the most frustrating things, especially again, when you're trying to introduce a new person to rugby, is trying to explain to them why they're making calls of the breakdown. Because you know, any close breakdown, it could legitimately just go any way. I mean, you know, there's no, there's so many penalties happening that it's a crapshoot which one the official wants to call. Yeah, which is really, you know, not too much different from American football on any given play at the offensive line between the defensive line. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of like you said, it's just really up to the, you know, up to the sir and how they're choosing to officiate something like that. But when, but especially when you start enforcing rules in a different manner, that's definitely going to affect the pace of play and how players adapt to that um, is also going to be interesting because, you know, when you're going kind of, you know, helter-skelter, helter-skelter into the ruck like that, you're playing a lot more reactionary rugby as opposed to when a game is heavily officiated that's when you really need to start relying on system because you're going to be having those uh you're going to be having those game breaks in which you can set up uh different platforms and stuff like that i think i mean i wouldn't call this an evolution and i was listening to some other um some other podcasts this morning uh about it is that at least with the blues um, they seem to have their support runners and their pods like very efficient. You didn't see wings sort of getting out there too often by themselves and not having any support, which is very important. Um, I did the the cool thing was from the uh, the canes was uh, Dinkle, um, and then like yeah, you know, like you know, um, finisher speed and gets the try, and uh, you know that's that's how you sell rugby is you say hey man. You, 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 offensive lineman. You, uh, you big buddy. You, the wrestler. hog mollies, the war wrestler. daddies. You know, you get get one of the wrestlers out there and be like, "Do you like to carry the ball?" Guess what? You can. Yeah, you two can score. Some big guys you draft. Can mm-hmm. And uh, any Jerry Jones term can easily be applied to rugby players. <laughs> Come on, the big uglies. Hog Molly and War Daddy have to be my, my absolute favorite. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, you know, Dane Cole gets a try. And then, uh, you know, when he was stuck out on the wing on defense, because, you know, in, in a system, obviously, especially like a 1 3 3 1, you can have your, usually one of your hookers or your back rows are like on the wing and they get that poaching opportunity. You've seen it. Um, in the U S with Joe playing on the wing only in attack. Like these guys, like he, so when he got burned by Rico Yuani, uh, he was out of position because mostly in defense, your forwards are in the center of the pitch. They're not hanging out on the wing by themselves, you know, hoping that, uh, you know, a wing, an actual wing doesn't come near them. <laughs> as a forward on defense, an actual wing. As- you know, do I want a wing runner because obviously they're small and fragile and probably not a physical threat to tackle. On the other hand, they may just embarrass me by scooting by me. So, you know, it's, it's really a pros and cons thing. Yeah, you know, or, or even if you run the wing down, is, you know, is your fat ass going to have the energy to get up and be a part of the breakdown? Or, or are you just going to lay yeah. there? It's like one of those where they go by, you have to just give the courtesy dive. Like, oh, almost had him. Oh, now I'm out of the play. I'm helping. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, you know, it, it, it was, I thought it was a good game. And then, you know, seeing, having a good old Bowden Barrett relegated to playing fullback. Uh, come on. Come on. Like, What's wrong with fullback? Well, it, I mean, nothing's wrong with fullback. It was just interesting to watch uh, in this game and then in the, the other game, the Highlanders versus the Chiefs, uh, Damian McKenzie, who is normally – like for the All Blacks, he's normally a fullback, but he plays fly half for his Super Rugby team. And you, I mean, both. I forget. I think Oter Black was the fly half of the Blues. I played great. Uh, like the All Blacks have like halfbacks, you know, just <laughs> coming out of their ears. And uh, and then, but you saw Damian McKenzie for the first time post like really that I'd seen him post injury, and it was like, where was this guy for the World Cup if he never got injured? Uh, things would have been wild. Uh, yeah, they're kind of nasty. Um, but you know that's that's Super Rugby. There's going to be nine more weeks of Super Rugby. Uh, it's called Super Rugby Aotearoa, um, which is um, Maori for New Zealand. I think I I think I got it right. <laughs> it's so I just see it on TV, and my brain says Super Rugby Aorta, like, <laughs> oh, uh, part of a heart. So um, we're gonna we're gonna get to everyone's questions. I submitted them on Facebook and Twitter, uh, more so later on in the show. But uh, so when it comes to the MLR draft, I guess we're gonna get into impressions. I don't necessarily think we'll give out some grades, but um, there were some head scratchers for me. I there were some bold. Moves. Sorry, sorry. That 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 I I know what their process were. I know exactly what their processes were and it's and development. That, was not, that was not a head scratcher at all. If you actually, if people actually listen, if people actually talk to Brandon, they would know what Utah was doing, but I guess yeah, well, no one wanted to talk to Brandon. I, I mean, that, that, that is a good point to start out with is that Utah did make some comments ahead of the draft saying that any guys they picked would be given the chance to develop um, two fly halves out of the gate though. Um, um, I believe, I, I, so I, I, I yeah, um, only one's a fly half. Um, um, so wait, Powers and uh, Gianna Scoli? I thought so, they were both flies. No, Gian- Powers is not a fly half. I don't know why people are saying he's a fly half. He did play fly half at Iona as a freshman and a sophomore, but he is a center. He has played center the last two seasons, so I have no idea. So, 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 so that means he put muscle on him at, at some point after yeah. sophomore year. That's the only thing that that, that basically <laughs> means. But so, so yeah. but, but 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 I mean, like you know. If the development, if the developmental process works, then then that then that's a guy who has that versatility between center and fly half. Then uh, then then you have G- uh, Giancarlo. I'm, I'm I'm sorry. How do you pronounce his? Giannascoli. Yeah. Uh, G- G- yeah. So, Giannascoli. <laughs> G- there we go. Yeah. But um, yeah. But no, once you got once you have those two guys in the system, that's going. Uh, and Utah is already known for like their very fast, very you know like you know high octane attack when it's working, when it's actually being pulled off properly. So that's a great environment for those guys to thrive in. However, there weren't, you know, as I'm sure you guys agree, there weren't any plug and play win now pieces for a team that's actually, you know, that's for a team that's struggled to win for the last two years that they've been in the league. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that, um, cause talking to Brandon and, and hearing from Kimball care is like, they um, are going, they're going deep on the, the long game for this in a same, in a similar sense that new Orleans is just being playing the long game from season one. The difference I guess is just trying to figure out um, 
who the right players are. And for some, for some teams, they, they get it right, right away in like Seattle. They, they got the players right for the first two seasons and they won championships based on that. Um, but for, for a lot of these teams, I think you look at what, what was your guys? Cause I, I mean, I worked on the back end. I, I had to work on Saturday for this. So uh, what was your guys impression of the draft? Just the draft itself. Um, so production, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, I, I was definitely impressed, you know, I, I was impressed with the, with the professionalism. Um, I thought the, I, I thought the format, what was good enough um, in terms of, you know, switching back, you know, you, you had uh commissioner kill you had um, some of the commentators in, in studio in sort of studio settings. There were times when I think where, where I thought they lingered a little bit on some of the interviews um, a bit too much. Um, it, if you noticed, um, was it was the only Mooneyham? Did he was he the only one who got like the commissioner like with the with the first pick? You know, like like so and so team selects because um, I, I, I didn't see him go up to the first three. See, now it's the first three. So. Yeah, th- yeah. There there wasn't a whole lot of you know. Granted, it was a virtual draft, and we didn't even see that in the NFL draft this year. But yeah, the, you didn't see a whole lot of Killebrew as as you would have seen Roger Goodell um, in the NFL format. However, is that a bad thing? You know, I, I don't think so. But um, yeah, no, I, 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 I was definitely I was definitely happy to see it. I would love to see an MLR draft though in a you know people together setting. I think that would be a, a, a much more interesting process. Whereas this, I think, you know, it's just work with what you got, which is what the entire world is doing right now. Yeah. I look, I mean, I, I, as I said, I didn't actually watch the production live, but I mean, just look at the results and, you know, I, I was mostly getting live updates from you guys and, and some other rugby people who are texting me picks as they were coming out. But I, I think one of the most interesting takeaways at a high level to me was the, the dispersion of positions that were taken and in what order, you know, I kind of would have expected a more forward heavy or fly half heavy, you know, top of the draft. But really there were a lot of kind of center center and, and outside back picks early on people who uh, score, people who score points, people who put points on the board who actually put, <laughs> put the ball down in the end goal. They're called backs. <laughs> what are they I called? Like, yeah. I, I people like people score points. But, 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 who who does games memory? And yeah, well, you, yeah, like you, you would think if this is an NFL draft and you're trying to compare positions, you know, you're expecting quarterbacks or so like fly halves or maybe scrum halves to go early. Uh, but clearly, that wasn't the case here. It was it wasn't about finding play callers or you know decision makers in that sort of way. It was about, it seems to be about finding individual talents. You know, yeah, you definitely had to look at ceiling, whether or not they can plug and play and stuff like that. And, you know, scrum half is a, is a difficult position, especially at the MLR level uh, for guys who have only been in the, in the USA club and college scene. So, you know, that, that it could just be the fact that coaches want somebody experienced at that position. They don't necessarily want to spend a draft pick on somebody that they know they're going to have to develop before they start playing meaningful minutes. So you have guys like, you know, like, like Mooney ham, like Justin Johnson, who you can just put in and play, you know, they might not be starters right away, but they can definitely be productive on, on the field if they're going to be playing in 2021. Whereas, a, a, you know, whereas a scrum half fly half, you might want to get him, get him some ARP minutes before he actually makes an impact in MLR. 
I, I look at, cause I mean, like I said, I worked on the back end of this and, you know, talking to GMs, um, I, over a month ago, I, so way before the deadline hit, uh, cause I, um, and we were looking at players to profile and we scouted the players and we developed our top 20 board. And then, you know, a bunch of players decided to go back to school, like Peyton Talan Ilialo, who would be, he would have been the consensus number one pick. Like he, he would have come off the board and he would be able to play right now. And at, at tight head prop, like he can, he is that good. And you, you saw another prop who really wasn't on my first 10 or first 20. And that was Brian Nolt. And, you know, again, it's all about doing your scouting and calling the coaches and finding out about their players because when it comes to the age grade process, we're hamstrung by the fact that it's pay to play. And Brian Nolt had hit a bunch of different like wickets when it came to the age grade process, but wasn't at the last All American camp because didn't have the money to, to or didn't didn't have or didn't want to spend the money. And a bunch of players that had been to previously All American camps didn't have or didn't want to spend the fifteen hundred dollars um, that it was going to cost them that summer and would rather either, you know, stay at home, lift weights or hit the beach and, you know, just surf. Yeah. And I don't, it, that's a process that USA rugby needs to fix so that we can see that. And I think another part of the process that will be added over time, whether it's next year or the year after is a combine because yes, we had over 400 people enter the draft, but we were missing tape on a lot of these guys. Um, and it's just really hard to ver like the whole point of a combine is to um to get measurables and to verify certain things that you see on tape. Um that's the point of a combine. And yes, you have in the NFLs, especially with the way they run their combine, you have combine heroes that just jump up the but the I think the way John Ross, do, you know, the way we would do things in MLR is really, you know, you'd have a camp for like a week. And at the end, you have a trial match um, with whether that's the All-American match and you do an East versus West, and then you play the the best 23 or best 30 against the All-Canadian team a week later because the Canadians will be a part of this draft. They will at some point, whether it's next year or the year after, we will have Canadians in this draft, and Canadians will be coming again south of the border to mm -hmm. fill out rosters. But so – but but at the same time though, um, you know, in, in a way that a lot of college football players skip bowl games in order to prepare for the draft, would something like a camp with trial games really be, you know, really be advisable for players who you know potentially um, have you know have have the chance to make more money, you know, entering MLR as opposed to just free agents? It's I mean, everyone has to go through like if they're graduating seniors, right? They have to go through the draft process. If they're underclassmen, they can, and this is where we'll look, we'll, we'll look at the process. There were no true underclassmen in that were drafted. Like Patrick Madden was probably the closest thing to an underclassman, but he's going to graduate in December. There's a bunch of players. So that were drafted. Um, so there isn't really like, they don't have like sitting out isn't really going to help certain players. Whereas like some of the players that are already at the top, they're going to the all American camp. And then you, the, uh, I think the concept that's been floated to me, uh, I don't have any money to pay for this, but the idea is you would have the all American camp. And around that you would also invite 
the next 200 guys on the big board to that camp. Cause you'd have the top 100 and then you'd bring in the next 200 guys for like four days to deal your measurables and then just be evaluated. And that is how you just confirm. You would confirm all the things that you see on tape. The biggest thing though, so there were comments about some of the highlight tapes. College rugby guys, we gotta we gotta get better at this. We get we'd like to, so that you're, and because there were some comments like, what about the Division Two players? What about the lower Division Two players? Well, guess what, man? Um, a dude who plays in Enscro was drafted. A dude who plays in Division Two was drafted. So these get teams your tape. Are, get get your schools to tape your games. So, so these so th- there are like teams will scout because that shows me that teams are scouting. Because I would say the biggest one like Janoskali I knew about, and we we put him on the list and he was we, he was profiled. Um, so I knew about him. Um, a lot of teams liked him, and I think Utah was going to try and get him as a free agent, but they were based. There was enough out there that people were probably, I think he would have been picked up if they didn't draft him when they did. Um, and then they got the big pick, um, which I'll talk about later in Elijah Hayes. I know that, you know, some people look at Utah's draft and they say, you know, I don't know about that, but um, going back to the first pick uh, and I'm not trying – I don't want to do grades at all for me. You guys I, – I want to hear your guys' opinions on this. Going back to the first pick, talking to GMs throughout the last two weeks, I kind of knew that um, – and especially talking to Colton Cariaga at Life University is like – and also speaking to Connor Mooneyham myself is like this guy was the most ready to be a professional rugby player of any of these guys, he was a, and he's older than most of them. Cause he's a member of the church of Latter-day Saints. And he went on a more mission for two years. So he's, he's a little bit older um, and he's much, so he's more mature. And he, he's the most, he's that kind of guy that you're going to want on your team. And he's just going to set the tone in the locker room, especially for an expansion team. You know, like he's, he's a very, he's a very good person and he works hard. Cause like this guy came back out of shape, uh, from his mission back to life, got back to practice, got back in the gym and worked himself back into a starter on that national championship team last year. Like it was almost like to an extent the way it was described to me, it was like, it was almost like he never left. Um, but he had a different level of maturity to him than before he was, because when he was there, he was a starting, like a starting wing center for them. Um, so that's, that's, that's where I have with Mooney and Brian Nolt. Uh, you know, dude is probably one of the strongest guys in this draft class. Like 500 pound squat, like something like a 600 pound deadlift. He's he's a bull. Um, and I, th- I think Nola was smart because uh, I know that uh, people were trying to get the second pick after they traded for it. I don't know whether it was for, for something else. But uh, and or to get Brian Nault, and they were like, "No, we got to take him because he's the one we want, and he's also another player that will play significant minutes." It was, you know, like Nola's a team that doesn't need a lot to like get over, like to to get to the next phase, which is you know being successful in the playoffs. Like they're they just needed a few pieces, and I think they got those. 
Yeah. <laughs> Aging no. front row, put some reinforcements. Definitely. Um, I talked to a former teammate of, uh, of Mooneyham, and he said uh, the first thing he said was straight class. You know, like you said, Aaron, the kid is a very mature, very good person, and he's going to be great in the locker room for an expansion team. He's that also totally fits the bill of somebody who can be the face of a franchise. Um, you know, in a new market for the league, and I think that's a that, that's a really underrated aspect of this draft is that it builds hype for these individual players that fans can rally around, and what that rallying around that one individual player creates conversation around the team. That conversation creates exposure. It's in, it's the kind of domino effect uh, effect that you want. I think Mooneyham is a really uh, good guy who, like you said, he can plug he can plug and play, and he can potentially be successful on the field. So that's only going to add to that sort of pizzazz around his name and get people excited for uh, for, for rugby in Dallas. Um, in term in terms of uh, a few of the other picks, uh, you know, I, I uh, I'm a little bit biased here. I thought uh, J- Justin Johnson uh, and Kruger for the New England Free Jacks. I thought those were two very solid picks because a lot of the coaching staff and a lot of the uh, and a lot of the veteran players in particular are very forward oriented. So you pick up Justin Johnson, who's going to be a flanker. You uh, and you pick up Kruger, who, despite recovering from a recent ACL injury, he is uh, most likely going to be headed to tight head prop. So you you have guys like Papura and Ken, uh, Kensuke Hadakiyama, um, you know, still involved in that program who are going to be able to, you know, to, uh, to tutor these guys and bring them into the professional environment and help them work on that. Um, you know, and, and somebody like, and somebody like Johnson is going to provide great depth behind uh, Nalia DeWai and Owen Hunt as well. Uh, and perhaps even push them for a starter position. So plenty, uh, you know, pl- pl- plenty of really good names taken in this draft. Plenty of guys who it, it, it it's kind of cut down the middle. There's guys who are either going to be, you know, developmental prospects that they're really betting on for the future. And there's going to be guys who can contribute uh, right uh, contribute right away as starters is, is maybe going a little bit too far other than guys, maybe like uh, Nault and Mooneyham, but who are going to be able to contribute as depth um, and, uh, and as subs in games uh, right away. I, I think like a guy like Justin Johnson is another player that I'd look at, like if you needed him to play right now, he could probably, if like if you're if you needed to play right now, he could give you thirty to forty minutes every game, um, and probably you know settle in as a starting six, as a blindside uh, ladder in in the in his first season. If you needed him to, like he is, he's very uh, very strong. He's a big boy. He's a oh yeah, player. Um, and he's he's talented. You know, Patrick um, Chung was excited about the pick so much that he made a video for it. That's great for MLR. Yeah. Um, one one other uh, player, though, however, he is kind of like in his own category. You know, I said there's developmental players and plug and play players. Uh, ATL's draft pick, who um, I'm missing his name right now. His the first, so they picked a player in the first round who they know or knew would be doing a year overseas for development. I don't know if he's doing a year overseas. I think he's because like this is actually difficult. I think he might be going um, on like to play overseas club rugby in the fall uh, and to where like hey if he goes to play AIL on a tourist visa or goes down to. New Zealand or Australia on a tourist visa to play in the top level club game. Well, you know, good for them. Um, I think a year's, it depends. Like I know that Ryan Rees is going, trying to go overseas for a year. 
Um, that's why he didn't enter the draft. So we'll see. But I think by entering by entering the draft, you're saying and not sitting out if you're graduating your senior, you're saying I want to play now. Um, that's that's what I think. Now, does that mean he goes through 404? Um, or does that mean he goes and plays for like say um UCD or Lansdowne or somewhere some other club in Ireland, right? Uh, I don't know. Um, but that was a comment from Dan Power, and that is the word, that he's going to at least go play some club rugby in the fall. Um, you, you have to believe in a kid's ceiling and be pretty confident in your, that you're, the fact that you're going to be holding his rights if you're going to spend a first-round pick you know, on somebody you know isn't going to contribute uh, you know, uh, in either camp or in practice right away. Yeah, and and one other thing, you know, I think you guys covered it pretty well, but one other Interesting thing I, I kind of never thought about until this played out is, you know, first overall pick, life guy, you know, life had a, had a few picks in the first round uh, that were not going to Atlanta. And I guess, you know, prior to the existence of a draft, you kind of had the sense in, in their one season or partial season that Atlanta had something of the vibe of the college crowd you know they they have strong connections into the college rugby in america community and they may have had you know an advantage in being able to access all the, these life players and even just other college players that because of the draft is, is i guess been evened out uh so it's interesting to see i i wonder uh you know it'll I wonder how this changes life's long-term strategy, uh, life rugby ATL's long-term strategy. If they, if they, you know, don't really have advantage to access to life and other colleges going forward. I think when it comes to this is a draft, like a salary cap is a mechanism of competitive equity. And that's how our foundations are in sports in America. Um, overseas, that's not really the case. And they kind of fall in on academies and whatnot. I mean, we have academies here. It's called the minor leagues. Um, Instead of having lower division teams trying to get promoted, no, we, we send our prospects to develop in lower leagues here. Um, obviously not the same with the NFL just because of how grueling the NFL is. We used to. It was called NFL Europe. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're over NFL Europe. I did watch a lot of NFL Europe games, though. They were upon Davey, baby. They were not bad. <laughs> You know? no, 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 they weren't, dude. Especially like the German team. Um, there is a German football league. Yeah, I mean the, the the league. I think like basically the league itself kind of still exists without being NFL owned. Mm -hmm. Um, and and people go to those games. People get paid like yeah. Germans get paid to play football. You know, yeah, like, no, dude, uh, so so to actually no, I actually watched a whole documentary on this recently. Um, that's that's that was made by an American football player currently playing in Germany. Only foreign players get. Uh, paid in the in the top level GFL, and then there's like a secondary division as well where nobody gets paid. Um, every team is allowed to have like between two and four Americans, and just like MLR, you can trade foreign player spots and stuff like that. Um, it's it's a rabbit hole that I really recommend if you if you have some free time, wow. go ahead and fall well, down. Most, it. A lot of us have free time. The day is going to come They're where high school though. high school senior football player is going to be like, hey, I could go play for two years in Germany, get all my housing, you know, uh, paid for, get a get a free rental car, and get make a little bit of money and have good cool experiences, and then I'll go to the NFL because 
it, it go the the league plays by NCAA rules, and it's about you know the and it's about as competitive as like your average you know maybe D two you know uh, like like low, lower end D one like Liberty Conference or something like that. If you how Conference gonna, USA, sorry, it's, it's football. How are they going to continue to staff their uh, their col- American college graduating players when all those players are going to NRL? <laughs> Ah, uh, so um, interesting when you when you look at uh, some of the players, uh, you know, um, I think the the two that like sort of sideswiped me um, were Louis Satama, who we did profile, um, but I didn't have him as a first rounder. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, he's like five eight center, very powerful player when you look at him on tape. But uh, how many how many centers do we have? Or five eight, you know, in this league, even um, I think you know get a get leaner, put him on the wing. Um, he could probably I haven't seen him his kicking, so maybe uh, uh, maybe he's like a Teo. That would I mean if that's if he turns into a Mikey Teo a clone, <laughs> then that is the greatest pick. Uh, of mm-hmm. this draft, but I, I think he could. Does he does he have the goose step? You cannot be Mikey Tao if you don't got the goose step. Yeah, and, um, I, and actually make it work. Sorry, that, yeah, that's a, that's another very important. Point. Yeah, uh, you we so I guess the 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 two drafts you got to look at are um, the, the the four pick drafts, right? Um, and then we'll kind of look at. Um, kind of look at Old Glory and Nola since they both signed a player before a free agent before the play before the draft, um, basically, uh, well, Dallas. So, um, Connor Mooneyham. Yeah. Knew that was kind of going to happen. Makes great sense, especially for that market. He's a Texas boy. Um, they also, uh, let's see, what was their other straight out of Woodlands rugby? What was their other pick? Oh, Tommy Humpkin Clark out of American international college, also a teammate of Louis Satama um, product. Um, you know, when you, I, I look at a lot of these players and, you know, you want, like you want to see high level athleticism. And, and I know overseas they say, Hey, if a guy's 22 and he's barely, you know, starting to, you know, play rugby or something like 18 is too late or something like that. But one of the things that, uh, I know they're, they did in Dallas here and they did in Utah and they did uh, in New, New Orleans is look at athletic pedigree um, of this, of these players. Like Tommy Hunkin Clark didn't start playing rugby until I think he was a senior in high school. And he thought he was never going to be able to play sports again. When I spoke to him, um, like he thought he, like he had, he was playing football and he had a really awful injury where he was, where doctors were like, you're done. And then some of his friends were like, you should try and play rugby. Like at, like while he was like recovering from his injury. And um, so I uh, took it up in high school, uh, got a call from like, Josh Macy uh, or yeah, I think Josh Macy when he was at AIC and uh, went to AIC and you know, became an under 20, became an all American, uh, but he hasn't played a lot of rugby. Uh, when you think about that, but he's already developed to that, to that level. Um, then 
Levi Van Lonnen. This was an interesting one because so we go, hey, how deep did these guys scout? Levi Van Lonnen uh, is a 6-1 center out of University of Wisconsin Whitewater. So a Division II program. Uh, you know, didn't play a lot of rugby uh, until college. He wrestled and played football in high school. You know, uh, he was a like when it comes to this guy, like you're you're looking at athletic pedigree, and he w- has been invited to an All American camp two years ago when they did the wide swath, and has been recognized as a Division Two All American. So that's a good one uh, for them. And then their last pick, Bronson Tellez, and I think Bronson kind of dropped. Uh, I, I, if anything, I had him pretty high originally. Yeah. No, um, well, one thing that I think we're all learning right now, though, and this is just as true with the NFL as well, pundits' big boards are probably a lot different than coaches' big boards because it's, um, you know, not, not that it's impossible in the NFL, but I feel like in rugby it's a lot more possible. A lot of these coaches know each other. A lot, a lot of these coaches are really familiar with how – um, you know, with how other coaches run their system, how with how other coaches like run their culture. So they're looking at these players from a bit of a different perspective rather than just numbers on paper. Um, and that's obviously the case with any kind of professional sport that, that you have to do. But I think in rugby, there's a lot more, I don't want to say guys club, but it, it's, a, it's a lot more tight knit uh, in, in well, a way. Just, how, for yeah. for us, I mean, I guess I would have, maybe I would have been the one to do it, but A, I was working on the draft. So A, don't, don't make a mock. But B, like we charted based like top 30 players. We charted 30 players. And then um, in our top 30, uh, we still had to uh, – I still had to make seven profiles for the broadcast because there were seven players that weren't in the top 30 that got drafted that we – based on our conversations and soliciting inter- um, internalists from the teams, um, we – so I think we did okay, <laughs> on, like in in order to prep broadcast and all that stuff. Um, I think we did okay. Um, it wasn't the best, uh, but it's it's very difficult, man. We can first time. It's all right. You know, I, I, first time for everything. I think it. Yeah. I think it worked out okay. Um, it's also one of those things that now that there is an MLR draft and that you know, next year there's going to be build up to it. And like, you know, and uh, some of like the younger players in college are going to be thinking about it. I think in, they're probably going to be talking to more pundits ab- uh, about their, you know, potential future plans. It might be a little bit more accurate and uh, easy to, you know, e- easy, easy, easy to garner a preview for what's going to happen next year rather than where this year, everything was new and yeah, you know, everybody's yeah, sure. big boards was theoretical. So I guess people, we could break Dallas down into, um, you have two backs taken, um, Connor Mooneyham, who's a powerful and fast center wing, probably plays a lot of wing. And then you have Van Lonnen, who will plays in the centers. And then you also have two flankers uh, drafted with uh, Tellez and uh, Tellez and Hunkin Clark, where you're like, but you also look at it in a different way. There's it's a region. You have regional tie too. So you're like digging deep also in, in development with American players, but also saying, Hey, we're going to look at Texas kids too. Um, if they're available and you did that with Mooneyham and Tellez, which are both, uh, like Houston area guys. Um, so 
I know Liam, you had an opinion about Utah, so let's t- let's talk to the other four pick. <laughs> let's talk about the other four pick uh, draft. Um, you know, talking like I spoke with Brandon, and I knew where they were going. He wanted to look at, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, athletic pedigree. Um, so if you look at Derek Ellingson, this is a guy who has earned himself into where he was at St. Mary's. Like a lot of guys who play at St. Mary's are recruited to play rugby at St. Mary's. He was not recruited to play rugby at St. Mary's. Um, did, did, didn't he, didn't he go to a Jesuit uh, though? Uh, he, this Cause, guy cause, was in the USA hockey system. So hmm. like he was in, this guy was in the USA hockey system uh, age grade growing up. And I guess it just didn't work out. He obviously didn't get, didn't take getting drafted and, you know, go play major junior hockey or like to call it like, and choose because he had an offer to play uh, hockey on scholarship somewhere and chose to go to St. Mary's showed up to St. Mary's got recruited at St. Mary's to play rugby and similar to like Dino Waldron develops in that system Played C side his first year, B side his second year, and then, you know, as a junior becomes a starter at center uh, for uh, for St. Mary's, and then as a senior figure, I guess he's given the ball and he's told to learn how to kick, and he I think he made eighty percent of his kicks in the shortened season this year. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, what. Honestly, a lot of these teams that had mul- that had multiple draft picks and there, um, and I I feel like you know you know Utah I feel like definitely encapsulates this. There was a lot less pressure to to pick those win now guys because you know once if you have a larger batch of players you know chances are you know at least one or two of them is going to be, uh, you know successful. So, but They're at the same time, the, battle, then, right? then you have then you have players like uh, teams like Rooney who completely back out of the draft altogether. You know, especially yeah. when, like we said, there was scrum halves who were who were apt to be picked. And I guess, what I guess they, they they probably end up they probably end up they probably end up getting the target one of their targets for free in in Connor Buckley out of Iona. Um, I know that they tried to get. I know based on sources, I guess based on talking to other GMs and stuff, they tried to get the number one pick. They tried to get the second round pick, the second number two pick, and it didn't happen. And they didn't like their other options, so uh, they they traded out. And it, it is what it is. I think not to say it's not valuable. Um, picks weren't valuable because they very they very much were. Uh, I had Casey Raynaud. Like for me, I thought if a team needs a lock, he's a six nine. Um, he's a six nine lock and he's american and those don't grow on trees man he is no visa issues no nothing (laughs) just power baby he's a tree himself but they don't grow like six nine american locks don't grow on trees and the day the day before potatoes actually they had gotten a guy who's six 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 seven ish in david beach who previously played at Notre Dame College and also at Mystic in last fall, I'm guessing he was trying to get make it on make it to the Free Jacks and it just didn't work out. And um, probably and was identified and signed by Old Glory. And then for Old Glory later on, they get Matt Gordon, um, who is the only player that needed a visa sponsor um, drafted. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but. 
Uh, then you, so you mentioned John Powers, uh, Utah's second pick, Danny Janoskali, Utah's third pick, and uh, oh man, I don't, I can't. McClendon Hayes, Elijah Hayes. So this yes. is, I mean, I'm excited. Uh, like all these guys that I look at athletic pedigree of all four of those players. A lot of them haven't played a whole lot of rugby and a lot, and they have developed. And you, you can look at this with most of these players um, that were drafted is they have high level athletic pedigrees in other sports, um, whether it's wrestling, whether it's basketball, whether it's baseball, whether it's football, they have high level athletic pedigrees. Um, Elijah Hayes, uh, he was at Southeastern Louisiana, a division one FCS program, um, on scholarship playing guard. And I guess fell out of love, had only played one year of rugby at that point, fell out of love with rugby. And then, um, Brent Nelson up at ICC, I somehow identified him and brought him up to Iowa central, um, where he played and, you know, showed out and yeah, you know, he's been through some stuff as a, as a person that makes him a lot tougher. And, you know, he's also strong as a, he's the heaviest person in the draft. Yeah. My, my stats here, right. He weighs 280. So he was like three, he was like 340 or something. I think he was like 340 when he was playing football at Southeastern Louisiana. Like if you look at, that's a big boy. If you look yeah, at he's his like 30 headshot, pounds, we are the second heaviest guy in the so draft. You, there was a headshot he has on ICC's website versus the a picture of him that is most recent. He is a lean man. Like he's a he's a big man. Like he like as far as so he hasn't played a lot of rugby. He's pl- he's gotten good coaching. I think he's a, a very high level prospect. I bet you could see him play this year. Um, when don't know. Uh, this the Utah is. Um, I know Ryan Fitzgerald was like, tell Brandon I want my quote back. Um, yeah, talking about the Green Bay Packers and building through the draft. So they're going to develop these guys. They're going to send them to play club rugby. I think a lot of um, teams are going to use their club rugby system um, this year a lot more than they did the last year um, because you got to get these guys some game time and you got to get them fit so that they're ready to come in and play with the rest of their, um, the rest of their teammates for camp, uh, in a sense. And also you give other guys a chance to, to compete for a contract. Um, so, I mean, I thought Matarazzo, uh, we talked about him was a good pick. The, the interesting one for me was Patrick Madden, but then I talked to, you know, GCU and they're like, this is, probably the most talented halfback in the California conference uh, in the last year. Uh, He just happens to play for Cal Poly um, instead of like St. Mary's college. His pro his biggest problem is that he, he plays against St. Mary's college and he happens to be really good. I mean, he's hit all the, he's hit all the the bumps that he needs to HSAA U twenties, um, very good player. Uh, he's probably the one you like develop for the future, really. Um, when you have a guy like Joe Peterson coming back, uh, playing fullback as the, the field general, and Luke Burton uh, coming back as well. 
uh, playing fly half, this is a guy, this is a kid that you can sink in some, some serious time uh, to. And then um, a guy I thought would go higher, uh, San Diego pick with 24 pick, I guess, Mr. Ir- Irrelevant, is Cole Zarcone, who has uh, only played four years of rugby. Um, he originally went to Central Washington to play football uh, for them. And uh, I guess also fell out of love and just happened to want to stay at Central and was recruited to play rugby. Um, so he's he's a guy that's very powerful on the wing and just can can do things. Um, uh, who are the other the other picks you guys want to talk about? Um, uh, I'd say that. Uh, Bronson Tellez looks like JJ Watt. He's <laughs> huge, man. Like his traps are the size of my leg. It looks like just, you photoshopped JJ Watt's face. Just trapped body. No, maybe yeah. maybe there will be a universe or a time when JJ Watt decides that football's done. He should give rugby a try. Yeah. Um. The. The interesting stuff is we've already seen with undrafted free agents or uh, guys who got signed before the pardon um, before uh, the the draft. Key and Barry, he was apparently, I guess he he found out he was ineligible, and as a he was on a lot of boards uh, for teams uh, out of UCLA. Um, that they were going to try and get in the first first round, and then he was declared ineligible, and a lot of teams were trying to get him. And uh, Nola gets him, and they get three guys um, of first round value because they also got Andrew Guerra out of uh, MDC, who's just a, a workhorse, high character dude, um, only guy that was in college to place and played summer sevens for Chicago Lions was ever to you know make captain on that sevens team that was in college and also made the dream team for the clubs for club sevens championship last year in 2019. So really tough sevens player uh, um, as a forward. And, and I know everyone hates the, the seven, the forwards that play, uh, play sevens, but uh, think about this. Um, I mean, I three, was prop during a seven match, dude. Like. Three, three Chicago Lions. So three Chicago Lions uh, were drafted um, that all went there to play summer sevens. Uh, I mean, Andrew Garza plays like open side, but you had a hooker in Stephen McLeish and a prop in Spencer Kruger. All of those guys played for the Chicago Lions last year in summer sevens. Um, oh, oh, and, uh, hold on. I, I just wanted to point out a guy that you've already mentioned, Aaron uh, Casey, uh, Casey Renaud for um, Old Glory DC. As you said, he was a total tree at six foot eight, and I was just look uh, looking some stuff up on him. Turns out he's from Vermont. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah. Yeah. So he joins Trevor Cassidy as the as two very large second row players. Um, you know, from from the Green Mountain State. Uh, Casey's from South Burlington. Um, you know, di- which is di- which is uh Division One in Vermont in terms of football, baseball, sports, and stuff like that. Same thing with Cassidy uh, from, from Rutland. So if there's any reason why this kid is a tree. It's because he's from the state that is absolutely covered in them. <laughs> he grew in that Vermont soil. So 
salute to you, Casey Renaud. I'd hope I ho- hope to meet you sometime and talk about talk about good ice cream and coffee. So, okay, and of course, so, maple creamies. So get this, um, toppers. To, to mm-hmm. evaluate this draft a bit and evaluate, like talk about any toppers like currency. By the way, talk about like Salty Thompson a little bit, um, who was the previous high school All American coach. He still runs Eagle Impact Rugby Academy. Um, but this is the roster for the 2014 Boys High School All American Tour to Argentina, um, where they played the Argentina U18s, the Italy U18s, and the Uruguay U18s. Um, Justin Allen, he played for uh, Houston in season one. Um, he's from Letterkenny, Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> He ain't made the spare parts there, but I. <laughs> uh, but uh, I thought that was I, I thought that was funny. Um, there's letter Kenny hey, kill Kenny. Uh, Jesus Arias don't know who don't know who him. Um, here we go. S- Benjamin Sima, fly half. Guess, guess I, I think I've him. heard his name but once. That's the Maryland. Um, I, n- I never heard the Jamin part, but yeah, I guess you know. Um, EB Jamin, D- dude. Seriously, my brother's name is Benjamin, and sometimes I hear that name, and I'm like, oh yeah, that is his whole name, isn't it? So, <laughs> so this guy goes by something goes by Lecky, but George Fotu. He was a sophomore <laughs> at the time. He, if anyone know who Lecky Fotu is, uh, I've definitely heard the name. I mean, but... he, so he was drafted in the fourth round by the Cardinals. I think it was the fourth round this year. So. Um, oh yeah, no, no, now, 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 now I'm yeah, yeah. Okay, here's a here's another one. Jacobus Hermeshice. <laughs> but Ham- so 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 related to Honko? No, it, it is Honko. It's a Honko. Oh, wait, wait, what? <laughs> it's Honko. <laughs> Jacobus Hermeshice. Um, Seth Holloman. Okay, uh, so that's another. That's that. Cause that's a guy who played for the Raptors, um, and I. Think is he has been signed uh, by an expansion team as part of the dispersal draft. Uh, Vilyami Hilu. Yeah, I think I've heard his name once or twice as well. So Vili Hilu, who plays for uh, for Seattle. No, no, no. Rattle. But oh, That's, whatever. Not Vili Tolutau. Oh yeah, freaking. Sorry, my my my, my bad to do uh, to Vili up in Seattle, man. Uh, that, well, yeah, I, I didn't even think about it. Now we have uh two villies in um in the league, right? A billy, uh, a billy, a billy. Here, here we go. Um, Jack Escaro, um, plays for New York, I believe, right? Um, or is it Old Is it Nola actually? Jack Escaro. How do I? I, have think, he is, I think he's signed by Rooney, but I don't think he's ever been selected. Um, Old Glory. Okay, yeah. So Jack did play, um, and he also went to the um, Glasgow or Edinburgh Academy last summer um, as part of that um, partnership with with Olori. Um, okay, so there's that. Um, here's a good one. Siausi Mahoney. Nice. Mahoney. CC. Mahoney. Um, Pretty sure that's, what, that, that, that's what Pat Mahomes' fake agent calls him in that State Farm commercial. Both well, Honko and Cece on the winning Earful of Dirt fantasy squad this year. <laughs> uh, here's a good one. Aaron Matthews drafted by Seattle. Um, Malcolm May 
plays for New Orleans. Brian Nault, of course. Second overall Sorry. pick. Um, Darian Pickett, he plays uh, – I don't think he saw a game, but he is contracted by uh, Old Glory. Um, Jolie Takoisuva, everyone knows him. I think he played. He played for Utah. For, um, how do I not know where this player is? This is uh, oh, obviously I know where jo- Jojo Takoisuva plays because he plays for Nola. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm an idiot. Um, sorry. So, needless to say, this team is chock full of players who, or team was chock full of players yeah, who, um, who had Cal- high ceilings. Oh, so here's another one Calvin Whiting. He plays for Utah. Uh, and Mitch Wilson. Yeah, who plays, plays for the New England Free Jacks England. and shares my April 15th birthday. So, needless to say, um, Salty apparently knows what he's doing, and a lot of those guys uh, play in Major League Rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was that was great to to look at, at as a list because I was like, dang, like look at all these dudes. Um, it's it's like you know one of those like you know college bowl game rosters. You're like, wow, you know. So uh, what was the so what else did you guys like about like just about this process? Because I remember. Um, chatting with one of the one of the guys that was interviewed um on saturday for the broadcast he was like yeah man it's uh it's gonna be great uh we're having a barbecue at my house like i mean i'm pretty sure that's what a lot of nfl draft picks did considering you know like they're like so all these guys like how does that not like increase like in like this is going to increase the interest in mlr itself because they're going to invite all their family uh, to barbecue to watch the draft, um, they're going to. So all their family is going to pay attention, but I think it also is going to drive interest in the college game um, because <laughs> now everyone's going to want to know who the next draftees are, rather than it just being random. Um, you know, free free agent signing like it was previously. Yeah, I mean that's the beauty of drafts. Exactly that. It's a marketing tool, and it also facilitates interest in college because you want to, you know, be invested in your team and care about who they're going to draft, which means seeing the college players before the draft actually occurs. Yeah. Which is definitely what you want to see the college players. There's not much footage of them, but yeah. Which is definitely what you want to aim for. You want to create like, you know, that harmonious dichotomy where everything is just sort of symbiotic and beneficial. (sighs) So, um, I guess there's two things, um, I guess, as part of the draft process that I, I, to an extent, I want to editorialize on. Um, So there were two outlets that basically published, I wouldn't say details because they were both incorrect, um, saying a certain, a player um, was ineligible for the draft. He was, in fact, eligible. Um, I know the mechanics of the draft, and I know when the articles came out, uh, I would say that the articles had no effect on his draft status. I don't know how many teams they spoke to, but in general, probably shouldn't be commenting on draft status unless you have like a direct quote from like the commissioner. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just my opinion. Don't don't make that kind of judgment based on context clues. 
All right. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't <laughs> put together your own pieces of the puzzle if you're not getting information filled in from the yeah. people directly at the source. And this, like, the articles that were published sent, uh, set off a whole chain of events uh, where the the coach got uh, hold of the deputy commissioner. He's like, no, no. Like, he, he's good. Like, he's eligible. Um, the player went undrafted. So if the player reads that article and he knows that he's eligible, but then goes undrafted, he's probably going to be crushed. Um, so there's that. And that, so, and, and we'll talk about why I think certain players went undrafted. Um, and I'll name them. Why not? Um, but uh, in a sense, I think, foreign players coming to the United States uh, to go to college and play rugby raises the level of the collegiate game. And, but at the end of the day, um, if it's a two round draft, the value of a foreign player um, that is in college is actually significantly lower. There was only one player drafted uh, that needed a visa sponsor. And that was Matthew Gordon. His former coach works for old glory. So, there was a tie there. I also think that based on the fact that um, Cam Dodson of GCU, who was projected by another outlet to go number one overall, uh, that he went undrafted specifically because of it, him needing a visa sponsor. So the idea being, I don't want to waste an asset on a 50-50 shot to get his visa approval. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think his services are in demand? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people who's gonna who are gonna be calling his number. So I, I think a lot of partnership fine. incentives, <laughs> 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 or whatever the hell you would give a kid his age. Uh, I know, <laughs> or, right? or it's like a, the LB doesn't draft farm players anyway. I mean, they you know that's not like it's unprecedented to have only domestic players drafted. Well, I mean, in so it's not unprecedented. But we're talking like so the MLB does draft foreign players that come and play in the American collegiate system, but they also are a league that doesn't ha- doesn't have to deal with visa issues. All of their visas get approved. Doesn't matter where the kid is from, like doesn't matter. Player gets approved um, because they have that history of being a major sports league in America. They make a lot of money. Like, so yeah, having, having billionaire owners definitely helps, you know? So like, that's, I think that it, we're in a place where um, pretty soon, I think for Canadians, it's not going to matter. Um, that will get fixed and we'll have Canadians in the draft. And, you know, like I said earlier, they will come South, but there was another player that there were only really three, what I thought three really good scrum halves uh, in this draft. I thought it was a, for the most part, I thought it was a halfback. I, I would say it was a halfback, uh, shallow and front row shallow draft. Um, and no, of the three scrum halves, Harry Masters, uh, Connor Buckley, and Matt Rogers, they were all profiled uh, for the, the Road to Rugby series. We, I think we only used like eight of the 30 profiles we did um, just because of how events unfolded going into the draft. But um, so I think Connor Buckley probably ends up getting signed by New York because he's a local kid. And I know he, he was on their board. Um, I know that Matt Rogers was on, on a lot of people's boards. I know Harry Masters was on a lot of people's boards and 
a backup half backup scrum half is a very like it's a position in need and those are the three guys i think um but you look at harry masters he also needs a visa sponsor so that's probably why he went undrafted there were a lot more there were a lot of there were pro, there were more foreign kids on big boards uh then it shows post-draft, but I think – I wouldn't say teams got scared, but I think teams felt confident that they would be able to get their targets uh, uh, in free in undrafted free agency. That's what I think. Uh, we've seen already with New Orleans, Jack Webster uh, has been signed, um, and he's a guy with high athletic pedigree, has been – like played only three years of college rugby and is already showing out. Um, so it's, so there's, I think the visa thing is going to may hurt college kids um, a little bit. And, but for the most part that will eventually work itself out. Like it, it, it just will. Um, and, but the other thing I think is if it was a four round draft, the value of a foreign player in this draft would have been significantly higher, you know, 48 picks versus 24, which was the original plan. And whereas you go to 24 picks, the value of a foreign player uh, that's in an American, in the American college system is less. Well, I mean, yeah, just because if, you know, on the off chance that that visa doesn't work out, at least you have maybe three other Americans who aren't going to have an issue, but Hey, hopefully as the league gains value and more billionaire owners and influence, you know, hopefully we'll go the way where that isn't an issue. The other thing that was pushed out there by a different outlet was saying that for some reason, whoever decided to put this out there, which was wrong, um, that teams only had two weeks to draft their players or not draft their players, but sign their draftees, which is incorrect. Yeah, no. Um, they, they, they have rights for a year if they're drafted now. Undrafted free agents are free to sign right now. There is no two week thing like they, but so we kind of talked about sort of the free agency marketplace last year. It's in a sense a convoluted thing, but um, the the next event is the expansion draft. The expansion draft isn't really going to have a lot of. It's not going to be crazy like it was last year when you had. Uh, three teams coming into the league and you had to protect a lot less players teams get to protect the draft picks are protected obviously um and they get to protect 30 additional players from their draft from their draft picks so um i don't think you're gonna see like big names moving anywhere unless they get traded um because i i've been told that there's been a trade for a really good player um already uh and we'll we'll see a, a decent name shift um, to another team, but uh, you know I I, I think you're going to see squad players move in to fill out the squad in in Los Angeles and Dallas, and and that's just the way it's going to be. Um, but the the next event, I guess, sort of the free agency marketplace is uh, July 13th, and that is called the Discoverable List. And all of the undrafted free agents that don't get signed between now and July 13th hit the discoverable list. And basically a team selects the player and they have two weeks 
then to negotiate a contract. Like it's they they get that sole time, but it can also be ended by the player. I, I don't know, but they get like they get exclusivity for two weeks, which is probably too long a time. I don't know, but um, based on talking to GMs, I think uh, if the undrafted free agents hit the discoverable list, those guys probably aren't coming to camp at all. Like those guys, like. If they can pick up their bags and move and try to play for the academy teams that will happen in the fall, but they will be doing it to make it on their own um, for the most part. All right. That yeah. is the MLR draft, first ever yeah. in history. The other weird thing was last week, Rugby America's politics. Um, did you guys – Craig and Liam, did you guys read any of this stuff? What, I mean, what, what you're it, talking about? it all flashes across my news feed, man. But at this at this point in the, in you know the so, ongoing series that is America. So Sebastian <laughs> Pine Rua, who is the president of Sudamerica Rugby, he was the fr- previous president of Europe. Oh, the ARC thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the ARC stuff. So everyone knows that Canada voted for. Uh, for Bill Beaumont and Pina Rua goes, Hey, the North, the North has turned their back on us. And we're like, us Americans are like, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. You want to destroy the AARC that has raised the level of every single team other than Argentina, because Argentina plays super rugby and they play in the rugby championship. So in the ecosystem of this hemisphere, they're not really included, but of every team that has played in the AARC, maybe minus Chile because they suck, um, they've only won one game in four years. Uh, but he's like saying, "Hey, you know, we're we're going to be done. We're just going to blow it up." Like, how is that good for Uruguay, who he where he's from, or for us, or for anyone involved? Like Brazil, without the AARC, wouldn't have made the investment into, you know, their high performance unit. I think it's just one of those things where, you know, America has had some highly publicized, you know, uh, you know, failings, uh, you know, in, in, in rugby, uh, you know, most notably the, the, the Wales game um, down there in um, Virginia or wh- wh- whatever the heck it was uh, that, you know, was horribly, horribly scheduled in, um, you know, in, um, you know, alongside um, a few other rug- uh, rugby games, um, we had the uh, you know like, like the, the Sevens World Cup that w- uh, that turned into to a total financial disaster. We've had the RIM disaster. We've had the declaration of bankruptcy. I just think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful for the American market, but I think in the short term, especially what's going on politically in the United States, uh, the well, that, world politically world in the United skeptical. States has nothing to do with this this thing. Like this is, has to do with. Canada. I think when cities are burning to the ground, I think that might no, be. No, this thing, is, but. but this is like the ARC is not going to happen this year. Like, that's, it's not going to happen because yeah. I'm talking about a guy, uh, a member of Sudamerica Rugby is vindictive against Canada for voting for Bill Beaumont. And because of that, he wants to destroy the America's Rugby Championship. Well, I mean, you know, that has nothing that, to do with Trump. That that's never happened in rugby. People's emotions and egos have never ever gotten in the way <laughs> of a decision in rugby. Right. I I just cannot cannot believe no ever, that. No one's ever been mad at Canada in the history of the world. So yeah, right. 
You know, they're uh, so nice. Uh, the Canadians I mean, are so nice. We've really come a long way since last year. We we're talking about why Argentina needed to put the the you know the full Pumas team into the ARC, and now they're going to pull out the Argentina fifteen. Uh, whatever. Gonna, I mean, I don't think do it. if they do, then we play without them. I mean, I I, I think I I understand their frustration. I, my gut reaction is this is just a a shot across the bow, but they're not actually going to do anything like that. More they grandstanding than anything. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know. It, it was, it was something to talk about, but then life is like continuously moved fast. Like since mm-hmm. the guy went out, like it was last Monday uh, when the article was published. And I was like, I was like, this is just trash. Like, why is he saying this? Because all of us, right. have worked very hard. Like we, well, not all of us, but like, I think every nation that's been involved in the ARC has worked very hard to try and make that championship work. And especially if you read a lot of stuff in South America, like if you don't have this championship, ESPN doesn't invest in rugby in South America. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, they're, like, so it doesn't raise the, the awareness of rugby in South America and you get rid of it. Then, then no one cares, you know, like, it's just everything. It just, it just falls apart. Whereas in the United States, uh, you know, we go back to hoping for fixtures again. Like that's because what we got was every, what everyone got was five high quality matches every year and four test matches every year out of that championship. And now we'll just get to four test matches. Mm, if, if Argentina, right. you know, follows through, which they won't. I don't think. Well, no, it's Uruguay, not Argentina. Argentina is the non-test match because it's not their first well, time. No, but they weren't. They're not the ones threatening. Sebastian Pinerua is a Uruguayan. He's the one that's threatening to destroy the like destroy this thing. Not Argentina. Like they're not pulling out. They. they uh, I thought the th- uh, I misunderstood that. I thought the threat was that Argentina wanted to pull out. No, no, no. no. Like Argentina wants. So basically, the Argentina fifteen are another professional team for them to develop players. Um, they play like a 15 game schedule every year. So this would remove like a third of their matches. And Sebastian Peter Grua is like, screw Canada, screw North America. Yeah. That's take, even take the Sheila Broflowski route. <laughs> so. All right. All right. That's it. Um, oh shit. Questions, comments, concerns. I don't, um, we don't know who fist is, bro. I, I don't know who that is. Uh, we got a bunch of questions about like, hey, what about um, you know, comments about like expansion? I, I think at this point we've got 13 teams, and I'm not really worried about like expansion at all. Like, if also, the- co- conversations happen every day about potential c- cities. People, pe- pe- people talk logistics. People talk possibilities. Just because something is being talked about and discussed among rugby people does not mean that it is imminent. All right, just chill. There were some questions about the structure from Rick Collins. Like the the draft show went too fast. Uh, in a sense, I agree with it, but in a sense, it's like uh, studio time costs money. <laughs> so I think I, I think next year it'll be better. Um, mm-hmm. It's the first one. Uh, it, and I think the format worked out pretty well. Um, there were some hiccups when I think the broadcast was trying to have ads because then it would just like pause or go dark. Um, but that's about 
like that's it really mm-hmm. um there's comments um hey why didn't the commissioner uh say every name i think that's an easy fix for next season they'll just they'll record that and he will um say every name for next season and we'll we'll be there maybe some uh, guest announcers too as well and let's go to let me look at the questions on facebook uh um Maybe have the GM make the call on the broadcast. Um, yeah, that could, that could work. Um, there was like, hey, what about this two-week thing? And I was like, the two-week thing doesn't exist. Um, is there compensation to the team who drafted the player but don't sign him if another team does? Well, like I said, the two-week thing on rights doesn't exist. Um, so why would there wouldn't be compensation going if he was waived and then another team signed him. So um, as far as I know, like I've spoken to GMs this weekend, uh, like all these guys are basically getting on planes this week and move. Like it's not even like there's like no delay from you mean the, 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 they're not packing all their crap into a Subaru and driving cross country, man. That Sorry. That, that that's the way you got to do it. That's the only way to do it, man. <laughs> Trust me, I know. right now, I thought planes were over. It's just like for the most part, I think um, everyone knew what the requirements were for the draft. It said by entering the draft, you will go to wherever you were drafted. Now, I mean, even with the NFL, we know players threaten that they don't want to go certain places. Hey, Eli Manning and Philip Rivers. I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure Eli is, is the only person that that's happened to in the I last mean, 20 freaking years. Oh yeah. I think so too. But I mean, that happens, right? Of course, players are going to be like, I don't want to go here. Um, trade my pick. I don't think we're there at all mm-hmm. in, in this league, but, um, well, uh, well, so, so, I mean, it, does it count that Justin Herbert stayed at school because he didn't want to go to the Browns? <laughs> <laughs> So um, I think that wraps it up uh, as far as questions or concerns. So we're out of here. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Get out there and enjoy some rugby. Rugby.